Today's episode features my friend and former Milligan classmate, Erin Bakowitz. Erin graduated from Milligan in the fall of 2010 and eventually went on to get her master's degree in music therapy from the University of Kentucky. Music therapy is a relatively new field that many don't know a lot about, including myself before I had this talk with Erin. I hope you find it as interesting as I did. All right. Well, thanks for doing this. Um, okay, to get started, could you just talk about what you're currently doing, your, what your current job is and what that looks like? Absolutely. So I'm a board certified music therapist. And what that means is that we use music to help people who are in challenging situations or who have something they may need to overcome that's not musical. Um, so for instance, I might be in the hospital with someone, you know, who's there for a medical procedure, helping them find comfort um, and decrease symptoms of agitation by using, you know, calming music. Um, or I might be in the psych hospital, you know, helping someone there who's experiencing symptoms of depression or suicidality, um, using their preferred music to help them reduce their symptoms of depression or anxiety. Um, so essentially, you know, you can think of several different places where this would help. Um, nursing, you know, skilled nursing facilities, um, schools, we work in the school systems, um, we actually work um, in prisons, you know, we, we work in all these places, we work in hospice, um, we work in NICUs, you know, with infants all the way up and, you know, until people who are in hospice you know, about to pass away. So we go into all these places and we use evidence-based music interventions to help people um, in these places to address their goals. So how do you know, well, I guess first off, do, do people get referred to you or are you just kind of roaming the halls of the hospitals? <laughs> no, I don't actually think that's what you're doing. <laughs> but like, um, I guess, how do people find you or how do you find them? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it really depends on the facility that you're working in, but usually we work by referral. Um, so I will tell you for the past five years, my focus has been on working in mental health, um, inpatient psych hospital, as well as in substance abuse rehab. So my current job, I am working in inpatient psych, um, and I'm also seeing teenagers who are in a 45-day drug rehab program. So for that, you know, we will have groups that are mandatory for the kids to attend. Um, so a lot of that I'm leading groups, um, but for individual sessions, we'll often have like, you know, a doctor or a nurse or social worker, counselor, somebody who will say this person seems like a really good fit for music therapy um, and they will refer them to us for treatment. Okay. So what, I guess, what would, what makes somebody a good fit for music therapy like what would what um, would cause a counselor to think you could use music therapy yeah a lot of times you know we get referrals when somebody you know when the verbal processing mm -hmm. can be very threatening to them um it can be uncomfortable. It can be very vulnerable. And so maybe that counselor just sees a need for, you know, we're not getting in the front door. Let's try to go in the side door. Maybe there's another way we can help them to access their emotions if they're having trouble verbalizing it or if they're not comfortable verbalizing it. Okay. So people who have had a lot of trauma, they may not be ready to talk about it yet. Um, but music is something that could help them feel really safe 
and could kind of help them feel grounded in their bodies to where they feel a little bit more, you know, ready to delve into some of those feelings and some of the issues that they're having. Um, you know, we, we always say it's not American Idol. It's not the voice. Sure. We, we always say that we're using music therapy to meet non-musical goals. So I'm never in there trying to help someone become a better pianist or, right. you know, try out for American Idol or the voice. Uh, it's never about that. So you can do music therapy if you have zero, zero musical talent. Um, but a lot of times there will be a patient or a client who does gravitate towards creativity, towards music, who just loves music, who comes to life with music. And so a lot of the staff will refer them to us because they'll say this person just really gravitates towards music. They like to write or they like to write poetry or they're very artistic and we think they would benefit, you know, from this as a therapy. Um, sometimes it's, it's also just people with like really high anxiety um, and and practitioners know that music can help them to really relax. And, um, and so it's really, a lot of times, it's really just to provide safety and kind of give us that um, foot in the door towards being able to approach somebody. Okay. So do you like see them on a regular basis or like, do you, is it, you see them once or do you see them multiple times or does that vary? Yeah, it will vary based on your facility in psych. Um, unfortunately, kind of based on the way the insurance right. is these days. A lot of times our patients may only be there for a week. Mm -hmm. So you may only see them one time. Um, over the past three years in my work in substance abuse, where they're staying longer, they're staying 30 days, 45 days in rehab. Then if a client gets referred to me, I can see them, you know, once a week, each week. Okay. Um, my groups are typically once a week, um, that I'm doing right now. Okay. So what does like a session with a client look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'd say if you were looking at it from the outside, you would think, wow, she has a really fun job. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a lot more behind it than having yeah. fun, but from the outside, it, it, I'm glad that it looks like enjoyment because that is a huge part of the therapy. Um, it's just the joy that comes from it. But the first thing that I'm doing as a therapist is really assessing the needs of the client. So whether it's an individual, whether it's a group, I'm the first thing that I'm doing is, you know, performing some type of assessment. Um, so we, we can work on different domains, you know, does this person have cognitive needs? Does this person have emotional needs? Do they need to express something, um, physically, you know, is there something we need to be working on? Do we need to be working on motor skills or, you know, um, spiritually, socially, a lot of times music is used to address, you know, social skills because it is such a social medium. Um, so the first thing I'm doing is assessing, you know, what are the areas of need? Um, and in psych, in my current, you know, um, population, a lot of times the need whether it's a group or an individual, uh, the goals that we're addressing, we're trying to help them increase their coping skills to find healthy coping skills, especially in rehab. The coping skills they've been using have been maladaptive. They've been right. using the substance to somehow, you know, kind of find an equilibrium in their body to find some kind of peace and calm in their body. So we're trying to help them do that, you know, without a substance um, in a healthy way. So I'm looking at their coping skills. I'm looking at emotional expression. Music is such a wonderful way to help us express. Um, I think a lot of times, especially for my clients, um, they've been taught 
to suppress, to not express what they're feeling. Um, a lot of my female clients say like, if I express anger, you know, I feel like the B word, you know, right. like I don't feel safe to express that emotion. I have to be positive all the time. And, and men will tell me, you know, um, I feel like I can't be sad that that's weakness. I can't show fear or loneliness uh, or guilt. And, and that's, that's a very broad stereotype, but that's a lot of what I hear, you know, um, from those clients. And so what I'm doing is trying to take music and using it to help them tap into those emotions so that they will express. And so we know from fMRI scans that music, you know, will stimulate the part of your brain, the amygdala, that processes your emotions. And that's why you can hear a song from high school or from when you were a kid yeah. or something, and you can instantly like get tears in your eyes or get chills or get angry um, or feel love towards somebody because it does really, um, I, I always call it, you know, a fast pass to the heart. We can bypass the brain. We can bypass all of the, the overanalyzing, the shame, the thoughts that we have, and we can get to somebody's heart. So that might be a need that I'm addressing. Um, we might be, I may have a group of kids that are very anxious. I mean, it's 2020. A lot of us are anxious sure. right now. Um, but especially my, my teenagers in psych, they're very, very anxious right now um, with valid reasons. So I may be designing my session thinking we've got to do a lot of interventions that are aimed at increasing relaxation. Okay. Um, so then some of the interventions I might do will vary based on the goals I'm trying to address, but you may find us writing a song. Um, we do a lot of songwriting. We can do it in the group. We can do it individually. We can take a song that's already there and rewrite the words, or we can start from scratch. Um, music therapists are trained to, to help somebody do that who has zero music ability. Um, we might be doing what we call a lyric analysis, especially in substance abuse work, in psych work, where we're doing a lot of, you know, um, counseling, we're doing a lot of emotional expression, a lot of processing. We can take a song and, you know, sing it together and then take the, pick the lyrics apart. What did that lyric mean to you? What do you think that line is, you know? why does that stand out to you? Why do you, why does that resonate to you? Okay. So we'll take the lyrics and use them to kind of, um, you know, explore what they're feeling, what they're going through. Um, we may do, we do a lot of instrument play. So I have uh, my current job, I have about 30 drums, um, like full size, you know, as tall as me drums and, um, each kid or each adult can have a drum and we do a lot of just therapeutic drumming. I mean, can you imagine like with all the stress you're under right now, just banging sure. on a drum? It's I actually went to cardio drumming for a while. Oh, awesome. Um, and yeah, I, probably first time in my life I actually like went to exercise, not because I was trying to like lose weight and burn calories. Yeah, it's just fun. Really good stress relief and it was really fun, especially somebody who not a musician, but was definitely involved in music in high school. And so have yeah. that in me. Yeah. yeah, no, I definitely can relate to the, the drumming. And, stress isn't it me. powerful in those classes when everyone is doing the same rhythm? Yes. Yeah. It's just like powerful. It speaks to you, you know, on some kind of like primitive level. Yeah. Um, and so that's something that we use a lot. Like when I was talking earlier about social skills, group drumming is a great way to address 
like bringing all of us together in unity, how to work together, how to listen to each other, um, how to feel that grounding and that safety in your body. Mm -hmm. Um, if you've been through trauma, what we're finding out now, um, is that trauma gets stored in our body. So, so we used to think, oh, I have a thought, then I feel anxiety. Now we're seeing, oh, I feel anxiety, then I have the thought. My body is having some kind of a memory you know, of the trauma. Yeah. So drumming is uh, such an excellent way to bring you into your body to, to feel grounded into this moment so you're not reliving the trauma, um, to kind of you know, not disassociate from your body, but to be fully present in it. Um, and drumming is a great way to do that. So yeah, a lot of times we use music. That's a great example. We use it with other modalities. So we might use music with dance, with movement to kind of also address that goal of trauma. Um, you know, address the physical side of it. We'll be dancing. We might do music and poetry, music with art. Um, so I like to combine a lot of those creative modalities, music and journaling. Um, so as you can tell, there, there's a lot we can do with it. And I always use the music, you know, our research shows that it's most effective to use the music that our clients like and that they respond to. So I've had clients in the hospital who say like, I only want Metallica. That is what calms me. And <laughs> And Heather, Metallica, like my husband loves Metallica. It makes my blood pressure go through the roof. <laughs> but to him, it is so relaxing. And so that's the music that works for him. For me, it's going to be something completely different. So yeah. I really am trained to tailor my treatment to the individual person I'm working with. It's got to be for it to work on you. It's got to be yeah. your music, right. what you like. So I'm working with the teens. I'm learning all this Billie Eilish and, you know, <laughs> um, I'm in there doing all the music that they like and that they respond to, um, you know, because that is what's going to be most effective for them. And so I look at culturally, you know, um, I have to be able to make the music culturally relevant to the client, um, to fit in with their culture, their religion, their beliefs, um, as well as just their preferences. Um, and we have all these studies and brain scans that show when you listen to music you like, your brain's going to release endorphins, your brain's going to release dopamine. So especially when I'm working with my uh, kids who are, you know, fighting addiction, um, they need like that healthy, natural high. Mm -hmm. Music's going to re release the same chemicals that drugs would release. Now it's in a much, you know, smaller amount, um, sure. <laughs> but it's still, the music is addictive and it is releasing yeah. those chemicals. Um, and then for my clients with depression, you know, your brain's not producing enough serotonin, your brain's not producing enough endorphins. Music is a natural way to release those endorphins. Um, so use in conjunction with your medication. Um, it can be just another natural way to, to get that endorphin boost, which is really important. So, you know, I know from very limited like counseling experience that sometimes, you know, when you first meet with a client, they're, it varies, but sometimes more or less resistant. Mm -hmm. um, definitely more so if they were not, are not there of their own choosing, like they're kind yeah. of being made to be there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Do you have to count, I would imagine you do have to counter like 
definitely hesitation and that may be like the most minor for you know it may I would imagine range from hesitation to flat out like I don't want to refusal yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) like how how do you get how do you break through that and I'm I'm sure sometimes you don't like yeah there's a point you can't force somebody to do it but that's a great question I feel like I cheat a little bit um on the multidisciplinary team, like they'll kind of joke with me because they'll say, you're the fun therapist. It's not fair. Um, because music is the mutual friend we all have. Mm-hmm. So I could come in and have nothing in common with you. You can look at me and say, we have nothing in common, but I can start playing your song and you're going to, I'm going to have credit with you instantly. Like you're instantly going to kind of trust me a little bit more. So no matter what, regardless of what type of therapist you are, music is such an excellent way to build rapport with a client instantly help them to trust you because um, like, you know, I have a, a boys group that I work with each week and they are just so into rap and um, they're really into future. And so every week when they come in, I have future playing just low in the background and it's not like I'm not putting it in their faces, but it's always on the speaker when, as soon as they walk in my room, instantly they're dancing. They're like, Oh, Miss Aaron's cool. You know, like, (laughs) so it is a little bit unfair in that way that I, you know, and I have interns and I tell them like, get to the music quickly because that's your way in. That's your ticket in. Um, but with, with clients who continue to show me resistance, first of all, I think it's, um, I have to keep in mind that with, with an expressive therapy, like music therapy or, or art therapy, there's such a societal um, pressure that, you know, we do live in a culture of American Idol where people aren't just out singing if they're not good at it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like, you know, we make fun of, we have viral videos. We make fun of people yeah. who can't sing. So a lot of times when people come into my group and they see instruments laying out, they see that we're going to sing. There is like an instant, there can be an intimidation that's there. And um, I think about other cultures where they just sing in the streets. They don't care if they're good, at, you know, quote, good at it. They just sing for joy. So I very quickly try to use humor to let the the clients know that this is not a singing competition that I I try to educate them. Like what I was telling you about how singing is so good for the brain, how it's releasing those endorphins. And I tell them like, think about when you go to the gym and and you don't want to work out, but it's good for you. Even if you don't want to sing, like if you can just kind of sing a tiny, tiny bit, it's going to be really good workout for your brain. And it's going to have a lot of good results for you. Other times, you know, one of my kind of mottos as a therapist that I've had to learn over the years is like safety over forced respect. So, you know, I'm a five foot blonde chick. A lot of times I went at the beginning of my career, I wanted to come in and force everyone to participate or, you know, that resistance might have, you know, made me a little defensive, but kind of, as I went through my career, I recognized that, um, if I can help them feel safe enough and not take their resistance personally, um, if I can just, you know, let them kind of ease into the water instead of forcing them to, to dive right in, a mm-hmm. lot of times I'll get better results. And a lot of times it's just asking questions. Um, I've had a client, you know, they'll say like, this song is so stupid. I hate this song. And, you know, um, when you've put a lot of time into planning a session, it's, 
of course you your human tendencies to take that personally right but instead of arguing back i'll just kind of ask them questions very very non-judgmentally oh i wonder why you felt the need to share that what about this song is stupid what does it remind you of does it yeah. remind you of a person in your life you don't like does it remind you of an experience that was hard for you boom therapy you're in it you're already yeah, in it right <laughs> <laughs> you're already therapisting them and they're it's like oh okay all of a sudden we're going to my childhood you know like there's a reason that their resistance is there so if i can help them realize what that reason is without um threatening their emotional safety that's always what i go for um and so i think that that's you know when those walls are up a lot of times it's it's from it's important to remember it's never you it's always something they've been through and i use a ton like i said earlier i use a ton of humor i try to get to the punchline before they can so i'll say like Oh, what's this crazy? I will probably use them cuss words. What's this crazy <laughs> woman doing in here with the guitar? Are we gonna sing Kumbaya? This looks so stupid. Like, yeah. I'll kind of say it first and be like, I know what you all are thinking. I, yeah. This looks crazy. You know, just just go with me for a second and let's not let kids have all the fun. Let's have some fun today. And by the end of it, they're usually like the resistant ones are usually loving it. Um, I will say in my men's group, I have way more tears than I do in my women's groups because they just like the floodgates open and that stuff has been suppressed and it's been in there for a long time and they haven't been allowed to show it. And it just yeah. it comes out in a really, really beautiful way. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay. So I'm going to like change gears completely on yeah. you. So go back to 2000, I don't know, seven <laughs> You're at Milligan. Um, <laughs> you, so you were a psych major because we've established because we were in several classes together. Yes. Um, did you know then like that you wanted to do music therapy or was that, and I, I guess what, what was, you know, 20 year old Aaron thinking yeah. she wanted to do? Well, I really did like music and psychology were my two passions. I was an accidental psych major. You know, I just took so many electives. They were like, uh, you have a major. <laughs> and really, I was just trying to figure out myself. I was taking psych classes to try to figure out why I was the way I was. I mean, that's why a lot of people are psych majors, if we're, if we're really being honest or try to figure out our friends or our family members, whatever, um, why people act the way they do. So I was also a music major and I knew those were my two passions. And then I'm sure you'll remember, Heather, when we were in that class together, I got really sick and I had to be hospitalized. And that was really a turning point for me. When I was hospitalized, I was so scared, so vulnerable, so lonely. And I was surrounded by support and people. Yeah. And it was a very, very short illness. But I realized that the difference in my whole day was like, if a nurse was nice to me, if, yeah. if somebody came to do something fun with me, if, if a visitor showed up, that was like the difference in my whole day. And, and I, it was such an intense an intensely emotional experience. And I thought, what would help me right now? And I just thought it's music. It's, it's gotta be music. If someone would come in here and play me my favorite music and just talk to me and comfort me, that would be the most helpful thing for me right now. So that really like solidified it for me. Um, and so then I 
graduated in 2010 and then um, I took a little break from school because as y'all know Milligan's uh, in hardcore intense <laughs> studies and I was ready to just take a little break and then in 2013 I went to grad school at um, the University of Kentucky and then that's when I got my master's in music therapy. Um, yeah. So what was the school search process and the application process like for, did you apply to other programs or just at UK? Yeah, yeah. I had looked into um, one other school and um, it just kind of came down to, um, I had family in Lexington and, um, and, you know, knew a lot of people there. So it kind of came down to that. Um, and I had done the like small private school thing at Milligan and I really wanted to experience a state school and go to a really big school and, and like go to the, do the D one sports thing and just kind of experience that. So it was really, really cool to have both experiences. I loved my time at Milligan and I loved like the tight knit community and, you know, kind of like the liberal arts education. And then I got to also go kind of have the state school experience as well. Yeah. Um, so what was your program like? Just what was it like? Yeah. Like, did you, you know, cause I know, I mean, so many clinical type roles are similar, at least that I've heard of so far. So like, did you have to have so many hours? Yes. Yeah. That, like, what did that look like? You know, I thought that, I think that was actually the enjoyable part about grad school is I think, and, and I, I feel the same way. I've heard a lot about of this for other programs. It's a lot of hands-on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know my husband did occupational therapy, the same thing. Um, it was more clinical. Um, so I had to have um, 1,200 clinical hours, which ended up being about six forty an hour week um, for an internship. And I actually did that in Chicago at a children's hospital. Um, so that was a whole other experience. Small, e- small town, East Tennessee girl going to <laughs> Chicago for six months and surviving. Um, and so that was really fun. But yeah, so I did um, master's classes and they had like, you know, your music therapy classes, but then you could take electives. So for all my electives, I did counseling classes okay. um, because I just feel like music is such an emotional thing and we got counseling training but I wanted to feel really confident with it because I and I'm so glad I did now because I work with clients who have really really complex trauma backgrounds or who are very suicidal or you know when I was in the hospital parents of kids who had cancer and like they're breaking down on me to me and Mm -hmm. I wanted to be really comfortable helping them process that music just brings that out of people Um, I think we've all had an experience with music where we had some kind of breakdown or breakthrough or insight or healing with it. So I took a lot of those courses um, and I actually took some chemical dependency courses and all of that. Those were just my interests, but those ended up helping me later. So then I did the internship and then a thesis, did a master's thesis um, and then graduated. So the whole thing took me about three years. Yeah. Okay. So and thinking about, like, I mean, I'm sure you deal with a lot of, like, heavy stuff, even if you are the quote-unquote fun therapist, you deal with a <laughs> yeah. lot of heavy stuff yeah. every day, so one thing I'm asking almost everybody I talk to, like, how, how do you, Erin, take care of balance, like, not burning yourself out, and refilling your cup back up, and keeping, you know, I guess the leaving work at home, 
or I'm sorry, leaving work at work and being yeah. at home when you're at home and balancing all that out. I'm so glad you're asking everyone that because, you know, um, I think that lesson started for me when I was at Milligan. Like Milligan is a very intense academic experience, which is wonderful because you know you're getting a really high quality education. But I remember being like so, and I was like, I'm like an overachiever. So I was so stressed out and having to perform at all these recitals. And like, it, it was a lot. The humanities test, <laughs> I don't have to tell everybody. They all know already. They know. They know. So I'm just validating what they already <laughs> feel. Um, so the best um, advice I can give is I think every therapist should have their own therapist. Mm -hmm. But I also think every individual should have their own therapist. I'm really big into pro, pro therapy. Um, even if you don't, I think a common misconception is like, I go to therapy when something's wrong, mm -hmm. but I also think you should go to find out what's right. Yeah. When I feel good, why do I feel good? Who am I around when I feel the best? What did I just do that made me feel this good? Um, what are my strengths that are helping me to overcome these challenges right now? And how can I apply those strengths and, and channel them even more and, and, you know, in even more of an effective and efficient way? Um, there are so many things in my life that I feel like have been a direct result of me working on myself in therapy. Um, so many wonderful outcomes have happened because of that. And I wish when I was younger, I would have gotten more into that yeah. <laughs> versus like starting later and being like, oh, that could have saved me from a lot of, you know, like things in my younger years, stress or just, you know, unhealthy relationships or, you know, whatever, anxiety, whatever. Um, and college is such an intense time. I don't think you realize it until you look back on it. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe this year they, they do realize that because it, it's a hard, really hard time. And then yeah. on top of that, you have your studies and, you know, right. you're trying not to get COVID and you're trying to stay on top of your coursework and there's an election and there's just a lot going on. Um, so I'd say that's my number one. Um, but also I think obviously I would have to, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a plug for using music as a healthy coping skill. Yeah. Um, that, you know, is something that's been there for you since you were a baby being rocked to sleep. Um, and it's something that will be there with you until the day you die. It's something that will always be there for you. You can always count on. Um, it can take me from a certain mood to another mood very, very quickly. It can motivate me when I don't want to get out of bed. It can um, relax me when I did get out of bed and everything's the dumpster fire, you know? Um, <laughs> So that's a really good coping skill for me. Journaling, I think writing everything out helps me process what's going on. Especially when you, like you were saying, when you deal with a lot of heaviness, you may not be able to talk to anyone about it because of HIPAA. Right. So a lot of your processing of those things might be through journaling. Um, but I also think too, just having a really high self-compassion and self-worth you're not going to take care of yourself if you don't believe that you're worthy of that. And especially, you know, I know a lot of people at Milligan, I don't want to assume everyone has this background, but sometimes if you've grown up in the Christian tradition, you might think that self-care is selfish or you might have grown up to play the martyr, you know? Um, and so it may take some, you know, 
a lot of introspection to learn how to take care of yourself and why that matters and how that actually makes you a more effective, um, you know, servant leader is the same. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I have so much more to give. Like you were saying, when your cup is full, so just shifting that mindset to know that it's not selfish, it's necessary. And if you believe that you're worthy of that, then you will take the time to do it and you will be intentional about it and um, you will put the effort in that's required. I've got one more question that I'm asking everyone, but before yeah. I do that, do you have any other pearls of wisdom that you want to say to whoever might listen to this in the future, both in general and if like somebody's interested in continuing to explore the possibility of pursuing music therapy? Oh, wow. Ooh, okay. So like if they want to be a music therapist. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say, you know, really, really study all different types of music so that you can provide, you know, the music that somebody loves. So I have, I've learned a song in Hebrew. I've learned a song, um, you know, for someone who was from Poland. Um, I have rapped before. I know you look at me and think, <laughs> hip hop, you know, um, I, but you know, it's not about music that I like. It's about really diversifying, you know, the types of music that I listen to and learning about all different genres, being open to all different genres, um, and to what different music means for different cultures. Um, but I also say just, if you want to be any type of therapist, um, really learn mindfulness skills, really learn to be calm within yourself in your own body because when I'm working you know a lot of people are like how do you work in a psych hospital you know um isn't that scary isn't that you know intense and um you know the answer is like what's scary is not really that I'm gonna get attacked what's scary is just like how little support these people have and you know a lot of them will say to me like I would rather have cancer than schizophrenia because at least when you have that people run 5Ks for you or they wear t-shirts for you, they have a hashtag for you. They show up, you know, with food for you. And obviously I'm not comparing the two diseases because they're both horrific and, you know, sure. No, but I know exactly. It's awful, but, but you know, that's what's sad is that a lot of people are scared to go into these professions you know, in, in these environments where the people, if you go in there, like they're really sweet, they're really precious, they're really human. They're just like us. And any of us could be there with the wrong set of events. You know, it, it could happen to any of us. I've worked with professional athletes. I've worked with literal millionaires, doctors. I've worked with people who are homeless. I've worked with, you name it, um, celebrities, you name it. So I think just like, the way that I can be calm in those situations is knowing my own, you know, being in touch with my own self and being mindful and aware and have done my own, you know, work with that. So I guess that's the advice I would give to anybody if who wants to go into like a mental health field mm -hmm. is really do your own work, get comfortable with yourself, learn to be really calm, learn to not, you know, snap judgments, um, learn to actively listen and, to really validate someone when they're speaking to you and not to minimize them. Yeah. All right. So your last question, if you could go back and talk to 18, 19, 20 year old Aaron, what would you tell her? 
I would tell her to just have more fun. I felt like I was so worried at Milligan about my grades. This is probably something <laughs> a teacher probably doesn't want me to say this, but I, I've never had to show a job my GPA. <laughs> I don't think a job has ever, ever looked at my GPA ever, which I mean, you should probably still try, especially if you want to get into grad school. You just don't try to get a good GPA. But I mean, I was like, I have to make A's, you know, and like, really, you need to learn the material and pass and get whatever you need to get into grad school if that's your plan. But, you know, college is the time when you don't have a lot of the responsibility. You do have responsibilities. I don't want to sound like I'm minimizing it. But for me, now I'm married. I have a kid. I have a job. I have all this stuff. And mm-hmm. I look at 18 year old Aaron and I want to be like, just enjoy those nights in the dorm room. When you go to Taco Bell at 3am or like with your friends, like you'll never get that again, where you just live with people all the time yeah. and you get to be around your peers. And all the time I cherish those memories so much, like even the late night study sessions, even the, you know, just the dorm shenanigans you get into like that can never be replicated again in adult life. Um, you don't ever live in a dorm again. You know, and probably not. <laughs> it's a harder transition than you think it will be when you don't have that. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I graduated, most of the, most of my friends at that point in my life were still in school and I didn't go far. I just moved to Elizabeth then, but it's different to be even yes. 10 minutes away when all of your friends are still on campus. So absolutely. Absolutely. And you just, the community that you get at Milligan, even like I look back at the professors and I'm like, they were so cool. Like a lot of them were having us over to their house. Like we were friends with them. Like we were besties with Dr. Mills. Like I still, I still am, am friends with her. <laughs> she is awesome. Like I saw Joy Drennan at an event and we were like besties. I mean, these people really, really impacted me more than I knew at the time. And I think at the time I saw them as like, they're assigning my grade, but now I'm like, yeah. they were so cool to me. They were such a mentor. There's so many just open-minded, just really, really wise people that work at Milligan who have really shaped the way that I think. Um, and so just that community is so special. And now it's like my coworkers, that, that's who I see all day. That's who I try to be friends with. But um you just don't get that like, oh, a bunch of girls giggling in the dorms together. Like right. you don't get that anymore. And no. you really, you really miss it after you graduate. So just soak that up, like try not to let the academics stress you too much and just really have a lot of fun. Good, solid advice to your young self and to the younger, the youngins that listen to this in the future. Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know some people have too much fun when they're well, yeah, in college, but I, I was one of those that was like, you know, oh my gosh, I got to study. And, you know, I was like so worried about this humanities test and whatever. And like, I don't know. I'm look, I look back, I'm like, you probably could have still been cool with a B instead of freaking out over that A, you know, like I was just, I don't know. But I'm a solid B student. <laughs> you probably had way more fun than me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was my, and you know, my, my cumulative GPA shows it because it was right there at that three point, it was three point. <laughs> so, but, I mean, has that ever affected you? Has that ever? Like, no. That's what I mean, I'm saying. I got into, into grad. Now, if I was wanting to go to like med school. That right, was, right, right. 
So I, like my husband getting into OT school, he his did he did have to have a, a certain GPA, and that did yeah. affect him. You know. So, um, so just remember, do not just throw caution to the wind and quit, do whatever, you know. <laughs> my dad is a professor there. I'd be like, yeah. um, your daughter told everyone to not worry about their GPA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, there's no need for the, the paralyzing anxiety. Right. You know, just um, soak up all that Milligan has to offer you and take the classes that really are going to benefit you. Um, like electives in psych and then you take too many and they become a major yes exactly exactly um i have the psych classes are the most useful to me now yeah that's, that's what i use the most now so yeah well thank you so much for doing this i appreciate it and i've enjoyed i've obviously i've seen from a very distanced way like kind of what you've been up to but it's good to talk to you and to hear what it is that you do. I mean, I've known you were a music therapist for years, but I've not really known what that looks like. So, well, it's, it's such a new profession and yeah. so a lot of people don't know what it is. And when they hear that's what I do, they're like, that's a real job. That's a real degree. That's a master's degree, you know? And a lot of people think I'm like a therapist for musicians or something. Oh, or yeah. They think like, you know, like, oh, she's a music teacher, you know, so it is like a very kind of nuanced, you know, it's, it's a very specific thing. So I always appreciate the, the chance and the platform to share about it and what it is um, and what we do with it. And I think it's hard to explain too, because a lot of it depends on which population you're working with. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of music therapists work with, you know, the autism community, and that's like a totally totally different type of music therapy than a music therapist working in hospice. Those are completely different goals. Um, but I think just the heart of it is that, that everyone can understand is that we're using music um, to help people feel less anxious, um, to help people accomplish whatever goals so that they can live their life more fully um, and more vibrantly. This recording is a production of the Milligan University Faculty Resource Room. Thank you for listening.